you're listening to a Mash Those Buttons limited series. Visit us at mashthosebuttons.com. Shepard, I'm glad you're here. Get to see you smiling again, so to speak. I'm sleeping much better now. I guess I'm getting used to how quiet your ship is. I still think a lot about my pilgrimage, though. I know Steren's our top priority, but with all the worlds we go to, I was hoping to find something to bring back to the flotilla. What are you hoping to find? Usually, people bring back something like a derelict ship we can use for salvage. But I need something bigger. There's a lot expected of me. What's so special about you? Hello and welcome to Squad Goals, a Mass Effect Legendary Edition podcast, where we're discussing our experiences playing through the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. My name is Nick Zelenkevich, and I'm joined by Chip Locke. Howdy, Space Cowboys. And Corey Kurabara Treadway. Greetings from space. And this is episode number 15. And today we are going to talk about, we're going back, uh, we did a little bit of this before Vermeer. Uh, for obvious reasons now, if it wasn't obvious at the time, uh, why we picked the characters that we did. But we have to round <laughs> out the crew now. Uh, so we're going to talk about Tally and Garrus. Uh, I think, well, I, I want to say like two of the favorite members for everybody, but I feel like th- like any all the aliens are favorites. It looks uh, Even Liara, right? Well, People like Liara. Sh- I'm a big Liara stan, man. Yeah. So. Yeah, so let's let's get into it here then. Uh, let's start talking about Tally. So what are, you know, so we've already, we've already gone over your intro to her and same for Garrus. We've already gone over the intros to these characters on the Citadel. Um, so we're going to get into sort of the, the ongoing dialogue that we have as we interact with them. Usually after missions is usually when pivotal stuff happens. And then, uh, we'll talk about their two, uh, personal side quests, uh, that are relevant. So let's, I guess, let's start with Tally here. Um, well, we're sort of the best know, one. Okay, cool. The best one. <laughs> I. I mean, so she. She is. A, she's a near and dear to my heart. I agree. I don't know if she's the best. I love Garrus. I love my Gare Bear. <laughs> okay, these are both one of my favorites. So it's just like I. This Tally's just a slightly above Garrus to me, but it's a really like very narrow margin. So you know like a small percentage point. Well, let's, let's, let's get into why we like Tally, even if she's only like your second favorite, not your favorite. But I guess, so the main thing about Tally is that she's a Quarian. And one of the things that you can find out about as you talk with her is the nature of the Quarian flotilla and their relationship with the Geth and the pilgrimage. And I guess it's, it's similar to Rex talking about the genophage, although Rex doesn't feel when you talk to Rex about the genophage, it feels very much like he's telling you his experience with the genophage. Like he's not telling you like, yeah, you know, this, this happened and that happened that, but you know, going through the, going through it the same way, like with Tali, I feel like when she tells you about the flotilla and the, 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 you know, the geth and everything, like it feels very exposition heavy that she's just almost like reciting, you know, like a, like a codex entry about like, well, this is how the flotilla works and this is how our government works. And this is how, 
you know, and then, then you start asking about the Geth, and she's like, well, this is how the Geth were created, and this is why the Geth kicked yeah. us out of the Perseus Vale and, and, and everything. And it, it's surprisingly dry mm. for a character who generally feels I, I feel like she generally wears her she's very emotive she wears mm-hmm. her heart on her sleeve she's you know usually bubbly but you know she has her moments when she's not yeah i think a lot of that comes down to her uh like garris like, like garris rex like experienced that stuff more firsthand than her so a lot of her stuff that she talks about anyways is secondhand knowledge she just this is her only life she's ever known so when she's talking about the geff and them like she wasn't there when they were created she wasn't there when they first started getting the Philatilla. She was already there when it happened. There was, this is just her like recounting her history book. Like when a lot of us recount history books and stuff for our countries or where we live, it's very dry. Yeah. I think too, because um, I hadn't really thought about this, but you're right, Nick. I, I think the other thing is Tally really wants to be accepted, right? Like she wants to be accepted and understood. And I think Rex, you know, could, to some extent, take or leave Shepard, right? He's just sort of like, I am who I am and I don't need to explain myself to you. And so her like recounting the history of her people is is kind of part of her way of bonding with you. Well, and I, I think too, I think it's more of a, a, like, again, like Rex is very, I know who I am and I'm secure in my identity and, and I don't need to prove anything to anyone because I've done that already. And Tally is still very young. I think she and Liara are really like the two youngest crew members or at least youngest in like attitude, if not actual age. Cause I think what Liara is like 200 or something, but they're 108. Yeah. Don't forget about Jenkins though. RIP. <laughs> <Poor> Jenkins. <laughs> yeah. And that's true that she is, well, she is you, young. You, you, Cause like, this is her pilgrimage. She's going, this is her coming of age stuff. So she is going through the process of becoming an adult. That is a very awkward time. <laughs> right. And well, she's, I, I guess, I mean, she's technically mature, right? I mean, she's not, is she, she's what? I, I guess she, she would be like, she's like 18, right? Basically like yeah. in like human mm-hmm. terms, like, you know, you know, like mature, but she's still be like maybe physically mature, but not mentally mature. She's still out trying to understand the world and learn her place in it and whatnot. You know, basically the pilgrimage is the equivalent of going to college for a quarry. Right. Yeah, I think out, that's right. Oh, good. Yeah, no, I mean, that's it, right? I think they, uh, and they talk about this later with uh, with her father, but they have, I guess, like, I, I don't know how else to put it, like the Corian Quinceanera, uh, where they go to other ships and they, they do work in the flotilla. And then once they've sort of proven themselves there, then they're like, okay, now get out there, go on your pilgrimage, and then come back and become a full-fledged adult, like become a full-fledged member of society, which, yeah, is kind of a lot like joining the military and then, you know, completing your, your service or going to college or, you know, whatever that is. And then settling down into adulthood in our society. Well, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned her father because I didn't notice this until, until I was putting the notes together for this episode. Uh, Cause we'll get into it later. Garrus talks about his father as well. And at least for the four aliens, I feel like they all have daddy issues and I say like Liara gets an asterisk because technically she doesn't have a father. She has two mothers, but she still has parental issues. No, no, no. Actually, that's, it's actually different. That's not true for Liara either. Cause only, only Benezia was the mother, mother, the, her, her other is actually does count as the father. They do consider them the father. So it yes. is a father issue as well. And you, 
when you find out who her other parent or father, if you like, is it, there's a whole great reveal of this in Mass Effect 3. So, like, please look forward to it because it's fantastic. So, okay. So, so that takes, okay. Asterisk or no asterisk. It's just funny that all the aliens then have father issues. Absolutely. Yeah, they they do actually. They do. They really do. Because Liara never knew her father, right? Like, she never knew the, yeah. So. It, it it feels it feels a bit like lost in that way. Like I know a lot of people said about lost, like everybody's got daddy issues. It's kind of the same thing here that everybody like somehow you've got this ship full of people who all have daddy issues. <laughs> and in, in Tally's case, her her daddy issue is that her father is the the head admiral of the Quarian flotilla. And so even though it's entirely a merit based rank, it's not. It's not nothing hereditary. She's not like next in line or anything like that, but she still gets accorded special privileges just because, you know, people want to, you know, get in good with her father. So they're going to get, try to, you know, ingratiate themselves to her. Or if they want to go after her father, then that makes her vulnerable that they're going to try to go after her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also her father, you know, because of his high rank, he was very much a bit of a workaholic, it seems. And so he wasn't the most loving of people, uh, you know, and then especially after her, her mother dies that then she's. Uh, you know, he becomes more involved in his work and becomes more of a standoffish with her uh, that, yeah, it, it's it doesn't sound like they had like a strained relationship necessarily, but it wasn't like the best relationship. And I think she, you know, she, you know, she understands the situation as it was, you know, for what for, for what she can say about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a lot of pressure to have on someone, a young person, too, when you're have not the greatest place with your father. But also you're going on there trying to prove yourself for the people. But you also feel like more pressure to prove yourself since your father's a high ranking in there. So people know you better. They know who you come from. So it's like a lot of expectations on you. So great stress, you know. Yeah, it, it's very hard. You know, it's everybody knows your family name. Everybody knows your dad. And I think... um her and Garrus have a little bit in common here because I think Garrus's father also not, you know, to the same extent. I mean, he's not like a Primarch or anything, but he uh, he's a well-respected Turian who really believes in the Turian way. And, and Garrus and his dad, you know, don't always see eye to eye. And so I, I think both of them in particular, like Rex's dad tries to kill him. Liara never knew her dad, but but for Tally and Garrus, they both have fathers who have burdened them with great expectations. Yes. Also interesting about them. They're both also the uh, Dextro based life forms. Whereabouts the amino based. These guys are eat different foods than everybody else in the galaxy. Just convenience. I'm sure it won't. I chose these two for this episode. I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, is that why? Okay. (laughs) It was okay. So it's their biological traits. Yeah. I was like, Oh, Sure. They, they both don't eat the same foods. All right. That's that's gonna be the theme. That that's what we're going for here. <laughs> I thought it was just convenience. There is there is a great scene in Mass Effect 2 um that I'm sure we're never gonna get back to, but there's this there's uh a Turian and a Quarian in a bar uh on Ilium, and they're just sort of chatting on the side and, and the Quarian, it's a Quarian woman and a Turian man. And she's kind of going on about her human boyfriend and how he's trying to get frisky and, and the Quarians, yeah, as we'll talk about here, have environmental suits. And so, you know, it's a health risk for her. And the Turian sitting there saying, like, you deserve a better guy, someone who can eat the same food as you. 
and like very clearly like hey what about what about zoidberg over here right uh it's, <laughs> it's just so funny yeah I for- oh god i forgot about that that was a great time <laughs> it's like uh and then you know and then she's like well no i think i'll just be single for a while and he's like oh come on i'm right here we've all had those conversations i'm sure (laughs) about eating food yes yes Uh, yes, about about eating food that's right yes but yeah so again so tally does talk about uh she does give the exposition about the flotilla about how it's all like 17 million quarians after they got kicked out of the Perseus Vale by the Geth. Uh, you know, they've all got different ships. Yeah. Uh, some of them are 300 years old from the time that they got kicked out. Uh, and then on each ship has a captain. And so the captain is kind of in charge of the individual ship. But mm-hmm. then there is a conclave, which is, uh, you know, elective re- representatives. It's the civilian government. And then, you know, they kind of make the decisions for the flotilla. And then it, you know, most captains also have like a little council on their ship that is elected to give them advice so that they don't run too far afoul of the conclave. Uh, but then there are captains that don't, you know, it's, it seems like it's a ship by yeah. ship kind of basis. There's a, uh, but then there it was like one thing you got to notice too, Nick, you just said about how many there are there. There are 17 million Corians, right? Yes. That seems like a lot of number, but when you consider currently our planet, we have how many billions of people on earth right now? And only 17 million got off the Corian homeworld onto the flotilla. That's not, that's not really that great of a population anymore. That's not. But at the same time, given that they don't have a planet, that they're entirely all, they're entirely like space nomads. That's actually kind of impressive that they have, that they're able to support themselves in that way. So you're right. It's not a large number in comparison. Like they're obviously outnumbered by, I'd I'd say, I guess maybe the, I mean, the Krogan are probably the only other race that. It might be having population issues at this point. Right. I And since we brought up Lost uh, two episodes in a row, I'll bring up Battlestar Galactica again. Um, <laughs> it, it, and the reason I bring this up is is they have sort of like the living population counter. And in that show, I think it's like somewhere in the mid 40,000s. And you think about how many ships they had. And I think, I, I, I don't want to call it realistic per se, right? But they do a good job of expressing how hard it is to keep even Forty to 50,000 people alive. So to think of a, a, just a flotilla of ships keeping 17 million uh, people alive, that's, that's an incredible endeavor. And it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like some of the ships are quite massive. And even then, like, maybe if they're not that massive, like Tally does mention that the ships are very crowded. And that, you know, one of, one of the problems that she has is now that she's off the flotilla, that you know, she's not. She she's surprised that she misses the crowds. Back home, I couldn't wait to go on my pilgrimage. I couldn't wait to get away from the crowds. Now that I'm out here, I kind of miss them. Sounds like the pilgrimage isn't just about finding resources for the fleet. Maybe it's about teaching you to appreciate your people and culture. And there's actually, uh, at least the way I had the conversation go, like when she says that Shepard kind of comes across a little bit pompous when like he he responds to her. What do you mean? Like, I'm trying to remember how that pompous. Uh, well, he says, uh, he comes across, he's like, well, well, maybe that's the point of the pilgrimage is to like teach you to ap- appreciate your people. 
and it just uh, I don't know it just came across a little like, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah fair, like what though. do you know yeah yeah <laughs> and and so yeah so it's I mean it, the the flotilla you know I think we we talked last time about Cerberus being something kind of set up in the background of the you know the first game as far as the side quests go and not so much with Garrus because his his origin is very much on the citadel very much part of csec um so there's not a lot to explore with his origin there but i think you know talking about again like rex and tally um you know they're two people who their origins have very specific like homeworld kind of situations that it would be interesting to go to tuchanka or to the flotilla in a future game yeah, I hope I get to do that. Like, I hope it comes up. <laughs> <laughs> never, never. But, but to finish off real quickly, going over their government, then, uh, so there's the conclave, but then there's also the admiralty board, which is the five highest ranking military officials, of which Tally's father is number one, and they are able to overrule the conclave at any point. However, if they do choose to overrule the conclave, then they all have to resign right after. And then a new admiralty board is appointed. Yeah. That's not a bad way. That's not, that's not like a bad way of doing things. It's like you've got to really think your decision through. Like, does this actually do you overrule them? Does this actually matter that much? Do you really want to do this? Because yeah. once you do, you lose your. Yeah, I love I love this idea of the Korean government. It's so interesting. Like the. And and this was something I really enjoyed. I, I'm glad that Tally took the time to do all that exposition, right? Because it, it's so fascinating when she talks about, well, we're we're sort of run by the military because that's what you would expect when they had to flee their home world after the Geth took it over. Um, but they've sort of developed this democratic underlay where every ship, you know, elects a captain, and then every captain form is part of a, a body and they have to establish quorum and so they have a civilian government and if the military government tries to needs to do something to overrule the civilians they have checks and balances like they've, they've had that 300 or so years since the geth took over uh, uh ranok and like like drove them off of the planet to develop a way to manage themselves and keep a mm -hmm. functioning fleet I guess that's the question, though, is like technically it's military rule, but it's done in a way that it gives the illusion of democracy that the conclave is technically democratic. But then again, you still have the military with like ultimate oversight. And it makes sense. You kind of, you know, in a situation where you don't have a planet, your resources are extremely limited and you really need to work together. Like it's, you know, you can have a situation with like individualism where you have resources are abundant and like, okay, you know, I'm going to go off and take care of myself. Like, okay, well, yeah, you can go do that. But in this case, like if we want to keep the flotilla going, then we need, we all need to be on the same page because we can't just start having ships going off. And then, you know, who knows what we're left with. And, you know, ultimately that's going to lead to, uh, you know, a population decline, if not the extinction of the Koreans at that point. Yeah, and they, they got to do both things. They got to make sure, like, you don't have too much, too much population or too little. It's a fine balance, and it's not easy to do. Like, we I know we still have that problem here, right here in regular Earth. It's like, figure out populations and stuff. Right. Yeah. Well, she also talks about that, how uh, that the, you know, that, that they're restricted to only having one child per family unless the population should decline too much, at which point then they start encouraging people like, okay, you know, we're going to lift the band up. Now we're going to start paying you to have more kids and, and whatnot, because they do, 
you know, they, they do monitor that very closely that they don't, they can't, obviously they can't, they don't have the resources to support too many, but they also don't want to die out. And so they need to make sure that they, they keep things up. Mm-hmm. And like, like, it doesn't help that they have that interesting, bio, they have an interesting biology compared to other creatures. Like where we are, we have a lot of viruses and bacteria and pathogens. We usually deal with the day-to-day life. So our bodies are pretty immune to that stuff for the most part, not counting other things. But anyways, Corins on their planet, they don't have like any of that. They, there are so few bacteria and virus on their own regular planet. And the ones they had there were actually supposed to be good for them, help them. It was good for their bodies. So like they had a symbiotic relationship. They had to go to a fully sterile environment with nothing of the bacteria. And the ones that actually were good for them are no longer there. So anything touches them, they get sick. It is interesting, though, that like that they're able to manufacture environments that work for all the other races, that you can have the Krogan and the Turian and the Salarians and the humans and the Asari all wandering around on the Citadel, and they're all able to walk around maskless and interact, and there's no... You know, there's no problem with any kind of exchange of micro micro bodies and whatnot. Whereas the Quarian are the one race, and, it, and I mean, you said it's because they have a very specific issue with bacteria. But I feel like you would think, like in an, in an, in a situation like the Citadel, like most races should probably be like sealed out. I guess the Volus are the only other race where they're all in their little hazmat suit that well, they don't they don't really expose themselves. But they're they're wearing pressure suits, right? Because they evolved on a higher pressure. That's like right. higher That's atmospheric right. pressure planet. So, yeah, that is kind of a good point. I always thought this was odd in like to the extent that the technology is so advanced, uh, you know, relative to what we understand today. And even now we have things like, I don't know, like mRNA vaccines and all of this, you know, sort of the dawn of the era of genetic engineering. I would have also expected the Quarians to I guess have figured this out a little better. Um, and I, I feel like this is one of those layers of Mass Effect where you're better off if you don't poke at it too much because I think there's probably kind of a lot of holes in this arrangement. Well, I think the reason that it's the Quarians in particular is because the Quarians are associated with the Geth. And so if you put everybody on a scale, like you've got all the other races on the one side, then you have the Quarians. And so... In order for that like lineage to make sense, they have to be a little bit robotic in a way. And so by keeping them in this suit, they come across a little more artificial, a little less human than the other races with the exception of the Volus has pointed out because they look like ro- robot moles kind of. Yeah. So, you know, you know, so it, it, it by isolating them in that way it, and, and then tying them to the Geth, it almost makes them a little bit more synthetic than the other races. And, and that's. I mean, that, 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 I think that's an interesting thing to look at because, again, like, Tally is one of the most vibrant team members. I mean, when she's happy, she's bubbly when she's happy. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, you know, you know, she, she you know, in many, you know, I think we've talked a little bit about how, like, Ashley can be very dour at times and, and very, very serious. And, like, Tally, you know, Li- Liara is mostly just kind of either curious or knowledgeable. Like, she kind of, she's very flat otherwise like she's super interested or she's just you know she's like spouting off her prothean knowledge but like tally actually has like vibrancy to her like she gets excited by things right and and and, and so it's an it's an interesting relationship that they have given that she's somewhat mechanical i you know i I always look at the Quarians as as sort of space romany right 
I, I feel like somebody said, well, how can we have uh, Romany or, or it's a pejorative, but gypsies uh, in, in the game? And they mm-hmm. said, yep, we're going to have Corians and, and they're going to fill that role of, of sort of a nomadic race. And, and there's other nomadic races, but um, or there's yeah other nomadic races on Earth or other nomadic groups, not races. But they said, how do we do this? And part of the mystique of the Romany is that they sort of they travel from place to place. They are very clearly an other group. They dress differently, you know, and all of that. And so you really just lean into that with the Quarians by saying, here we go. Here you go. They're wearing environment suits. You never see their faces. They, it ends, it, it just sort of adds this air of mystique to them. Well, you know, on top of that, like, like, like Tally's suit is not just a suit, like the helmet. She also has a hood that goes over her helmet. Her environmental mm-hmm. suit. Exactly. Like even even their environmental suits, I feel like have that touch of Romany to them. Right. And it I think that also it plays into the isolation a little bit that they're not I mean, they're not a council race. They're not as ingrained into the other societies. They all st- they they pretty much stay by themselves in the flotilla. The only quarians that you'll meet going out and about are quarians on their pilgrimage, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And that makes and sense so, too, because like with it be a council race, you have to be able to to give a fleet, but their fleet yeah. is also their population, their planet. You don't just give that up to just someone to use to help fight something. So, really hard to get on that that council with that, you know. And and because they created the Geth, the council is unwilling to you know try and help them find a, a new colony homeworld. They're effectively being punished, and they're being othered, and sort of pushed out of i guess polite council society if you will and yet i think as as much as there's i guess pressure on them or, or tension with them they're still not the most hated race like they're a little bit they're, they're othered but i think like the krogan clearly are a little more oh absolutely everybody's got a lot more you know issues with the krogan but then again the krogan are also inherently more hostile <laughs> right right so you know it's like yeah okay you know yeah we've got beef with you and we've got beef with you but you're you know you're you're being you know being kind of a dick about it whereas you guys are at least well, we can work with you so yeah they made yeah. a mistake like they didn't purposely create the geth well they purposely created the geth themselves as like labor force it just happens that the way they designed them made artificial intelligence by accident you know yeah like they didn't well, design an ai to uh you know question its its existence and then eventually rebel against their masters like people don't as far as i know nobody does that on purpose well it's it's funny because uh, Shepard has a quote when he's talking to Garrus and he's like, you know, this is why we have rules to, you know, make sure things don't go bad. And it's like, okay, like it applies just as much to Tally or not. Well, I guess the Quarians more so than Tally. It's not like she made the Geth herself, but it's like, you know, that's why they have rules against like messing around with AI. And they're like, well, we, we didn't technically break the rules. We were just kind of like went right up to the edge and kind of just like did little tiny changes here and there. But like, no, you, that's why, you know, do, do, do you want Geth? This is how you get Geth. <laughs> That's yeah, you true. just push the edge just little by little. So yeah, so the, the yeah, so then the Geth rose up, and then you do have the interesting discussion where she says, like, okay, like as soon as like the one Geth qu- says, like, "Am I alive? Like, what am I doing here?" Everybody's like, "Okay, we got to turn him off now. We 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 crossed that line." And then yeah, they don't do it quick enough, and then the Geth are like, "Hey, <laughs> that's rude." And then we're you know we're gonna take over your planet. Yeah, I think I think the question was, uh, "Do I have a soul?" Which yeah, this 
doesn't come up as much. There's a lot of it in the Codex, um, which is also very interesting. So part of the reason that the Geth uh, kind of evolved in the way they did or were like prior to becoming self-conscious was that the Koreans have like a deep history of ancestor worship. And so they were looking to create virtual intelligences that embodied ancestors of of living people and and so they were trying to create these constructs that could to an extent think and feel for themselves and then that's how they i, I think that's part of how they cross the line yeah well they 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 wait the island they, they weren't supposed to be very sophisticated it was supposed to be just they can work they know they can work together to do to do more powerful processes and they didn't really expect them to all go how how extreme that actually could go. They thought they'd be able to do some simple tasks, and then they figured out, oh, when they all get together, they get an actual thought process and consciousness. Oops. Distributed when, computing is a hell of a drug. Yeah. Sadly, <laughs> like, a, a lot more of this will get touched about in, in Mass Effect 2 with some really cool crew members coming in. But, you know, look forward to that in the future. So yeah. So Tally has some interesting experiences on the sh- the ship. In particular, after she gets on the Normandy, first she comments about how amazed she is by the technology that it's this massive engine in such a small ship that they were able to fit it in there. Uh, but then she also complains a bit because she's not used to sleeping with the quiet engine. That on the flotilla, if your ship is quiet, that means something is broken and you're probably <laughs> going to die. So. You need to make sure that you're moving and that your air filters are working and all that stuff. Uh, and so she's, at, you know, she's unsettled because the ship is too quiet and everything's taken care of. It's so funny because it's it's sort of like when you go from your first like beater car where it's super loud and, you know, if you can't hear it, then it's off to, you know, you get like a get in a Tesla or something like that where it's basically a stealth predator. Uh, and if you hear something, then it's bad. And it's a weird transition to go through. Yeah. So the the flotilla is all beaters effectively, and she's in this you know luxury luxury ship uh, that's all stealth and has no idea how to adapt. I love that. Yeah, you know, it's, yes. it's really was weird when I when I got to this part of this game when they were talking about this because I had just read a book series that also dealt very similar to this. The Hungry Cities Mortal Engine series had been released like before this, and one big part of this series is all their stuff was built on. Broken technology they found, stuff they scrapped off the planet. People, if their city was not like the engines weren't running, they freaked out. And I'm like, huh, here's this again. So I don't know if someone read the same books or just, you know, people had similar ideas. So I think that's most of what she, I guess, I guess the pilgrimage is really the last thing to talk about. Yeah, we should- and that actually, well, that, that relates into her side quest. Mm-hmm. So the Quarians are sent out on their pilgrimage. Basically, they, they hit maturity. And they're kicked off their ship and they're like, go out, learn about the world, get some experience, and then you can come back and then pick which ship you want to be on. And when you do, you have to bring a present for the new, for your new captain so that they'll accept you onto the ship. And then she says like, yeah, it's a lot of social, there's a lot of social niceties involved. Like you don't want to bring something embarrassing to yourself, but you know, usually the captain's going to accept unless you bring something really terrible or bizarre or whatever. So you got to find something that'll work. A lot of formalities, but it's like, usually it's just like getting resources because like they don't have a lot of resources so right what's the best way to get resources send people out to the galaxy (laughs) yeah one thing is kind of funny about this is like 
I still love like later on like, some of the ship names you get because when they buy a sh- they get a ship to get these broken down they get the ship names quib 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 <laughs> uh, still don't know what the yeah. dumbest ship name they ever got besides quib quib was <laughs> I do too yeah I would also like to know but yeah it's kind of like uh, you know you get sent out you you need to bring something back don't bring back like uh, one of those like things you got from a gachapon game or uh, a claw machine or whatever <laughs> you know you like try put in a little effort and show that you're willing to work and I, I think that's that's what it's all about right like the pilgrimage is about showing that you're willing to work and put in the effort to be a contributing member of society or i also think a little bit too is it's a reflection of your personality like what do you find valuable that you know did you find like oh hey i found this cloth or something you know it's good for making like you know exosuits or whatever you know like okay well that that's a resource that's what you found valuable and then presumably you'll find a captain that would also find that valuable or at least understand you know where you'd fit in you know in in the ship hierarchy and whatnot to be able to take you um so i I think that that's a little bit too but it's also again like i said like it's kind of like college like she's developing her personality going along just as much like you don't come back from the pilgrimage the same person you were when you left that's intentional yeah, you, you learn a lot about yourself and what motivates you. And it's it's so interesting because you, you mentioned like cloth, for example. I you could you could make an entire game just about being a Corian and fitting into Corian society and, and being on the flotilla because you have to think like and they touch on this a little bit, but they have different ships that fulfill different needs. There's military ships, there's agrarian ships that do the food growing. There's gotta be like specific, you know, trade ships that we make the environment suits on this ship and, and this other ship makes uh, certain kinds of engine parts. And then, you know, this one does, uh, I don't know, weapons or something like that, right? Like there's there's got to be a ton of that that they don't ever really get to expand on that I think would be fascinating. Mm-hmm. And like, it's also one interesting thing that Tally talked about too. Like she said like some Koreans didn't come back and she thought something horrible happened to them. And it's like, no, some of them actually just might have found like, this is not as constricting. This is more free. I'd rather stick with this. I'd rather keep going exploring this galaxy and not actually go back to the flotilla. See, like, that's what you meant. You talked about that Quarian earlier with the the human boyfriend. And then, you know, like the Turian being all like, hey, I can be like, is that Quarian, if she's in a relationship with either of them, is she going back to the flotilla at any point or are they going to settle down on some Turian homeworld somewhere and, you know, and, and I guess, you know, raise a, a, you know, a bubble boy. I, yeah, that's a good question because I don't think there is much mention of non Quarians on the flotilla. Yeah, I don't think so. They actually, I don't think we see or mention any of the flotilla. I can't imagine that the flotilla would be like, you know, like, this is the resource you brought back, a Turian? Right. It's, <laughs> it's like a negative resource, right? Like, it's, oh, you brought back another mouth to feed. That's bad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, if they have the yeah. skills they need, that actually might not be bad either. It could be like some kind of scientist or something, too. Someone good military access or has military ideas. It doesn't actually have to be a, like, a, there's different kinds of resources. Ideas can be a resource, so. Yeah. If, if Tally brings back a specter. Yeah, I think yeah. That's- <laughs> yeah. Okay. If, if Tally rolls in and is like, "I have, I have Shepherd," I yeah, they'd probably be cool. They, yeah, that's because yeah. yeah. And I can't remember. Did is my brain's terrible? Did we mention that her name is also the part of her is based on what ship she's on? No, we did not. Okay, probably should mention that part because uh, 
Like her, her name currently, I can't find it right now. Uh, it's Naraya. Uh, it's Talizora something Naraya. Yeah, that- it's like vast Naraya, I think, right? But yeah, it is. So their their surname is the uh, name of the ship, you know, to which they're assigned. And so there's a point in in the story where she becomes Talizora Vos Normandy because, from the perspective of the Corian society, she lives on the Normandy. And Shepard's her captain, so you know that's right. The name that's the right. name she gets. It's very fascinating names. No, they they really. They really thought out like how Quarian society worked when they when they put her in. So let's let's get into her pilgrimage quest here. And this is the this is one like the other pilgrimage quests, it's very straightforward, like, Shepard, I need your help with something. And Shepard, you're free to be like, you know, okay, or go away. And with her, she's just like I mean, I guess she says, like, I need your help. She doesn't really say I need your help with something, but she's like, Yeah, so I'm out here, I'm looking for something on my pilgrimage. And Shepard's free to be like, yeah, we'll we'll keep our eye out or like, you know, whatever. You do that on your own time. I don't care. Um, but you get her pilgrimage quest. You don't get it explicitly from her. You actually get it. It's uh, you you get a report of it, uh, Geth incursions, right? In the Gargaran system, and so and it's the Armstrong Nebula. The, Arms, in the yeah. Armstrong Nebula, yeah. And it's and so you it's so annoying. Her her. Uh, loyalty quests it's it's annoying only because you have to hop around a bunch and everybody else's yes. quests are kind of like hey shepherd i need this thing from this one place uh not hers yeah like rex like rex's quest is straight you know you go in and you just all you have to do is open a safe at the end of the mission that's it <laughs> right right and like you can like finish you, you, rex's quest without him even giving it to you like you can just happen right. on that planet and be like hey i found this armor did you like want that or and he's like yeah cool thank you so, yeah, so the Geth are setting up stations. There's four planets in the Armstrong Nebula. Uh, you have Rayingri in the Gargaran system, uh, where you, have, you find the station you enter. There's electric husks, and you kill them. Uh, then you go back to the base. You have to fight Geth to get out. Uh, then there's uh, Antibar in the Tereshkova system, which is a barren snowy planet. Again, you find the Geth base. You battle them. You can battle them outside from the Mako. Uh, then there's the Caspin uh, is the planet in the Hong system. It's a grassy planet with mountains and lots of meteorites falling down. And it's another Geth base outdoors in the mountains. Uh, there's also a Geth transmitter nearby, but that's separate from the side quest. Uh, then you also have uh, Magi in the v- Vamshi system, a red grassy barrens with mountains. You send the mountain, get past the Geth turrets, outdoor base again. And you get a tra- and once you take that out, you get a transmission from the main Geth base in the Grissom system. So you go to Sulcrum in the Grissom system, which is a sandy, rocky planet. You fight some turrets, and there's some Geth Colossuses there. You enter the base, and as you take you take out all the Geth that are in the base, and then you get a message. As the last Geth falls, you hear music from across the room. On the monitor, a Quarian stands before a hushed crowd, warbling a mournful a cappella of worlds and innocence lost. The recorded song is dispatched to the Geth worlds beyond, behind the Perseus Veil. The transmitter shuts down. I love this and quest. So, I like I love the end yeah. of that because it, it really and they have all these little hints through Mass Effect one of the Geth sort of like developing religion and also trying to process the religion of their creators and and this is nice color that I feel like this quest adds. For for as no, as annoying as it is to like hop from system to system killing Geth in the same way, 
the end is really nice. Yeah. No, it's 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 almost sort of it, it, I guess it's like surprisingly artistic because it's 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 culture, which you wouldn't think of the Geth having culture. And it's I guess it's not technically their culture, it's the Quarian culture. Yeah. Because it's it's clearly some sort of trans you know some transmission it would seem probably from before the planet fell, and or at least that's, that's at least that's the imp- I mean I mean I guess this could just be something that they picked up you know I guess maybe they could have picked up a Quarian transmission from the flotilla. It's not clear whether whether she's on a planet or in in the flotilla that she's singing. She just mentions she's in front of a crowd. Um, yeah, and this this, but, this could also be inferred as like the last dates before they actually left the last ride on their, their planet before they left the guest. And this is some more data the guest found and they sent back to the guest and the Perseus fail. It's hard to tell. And also, like, I wouldn't say that the guest don't have culture. It's just different than ours because they are right. now sentient and right. they develop well, differently. Well, no, no, no. And, and that, that, I guess that's my point is that at at this point in the game, you're not thinking of the Geth as having culture. Like you're, you're, you're like, you know, like Chip pointed out, you're, you're seeing the hints of religion. This is the hint of, you know, art that they have interests beyond just, you know, going out and conquering and, and whatever that there there's, you know, there's clearly something more to them. And, you know, it's not, you know, again, it kind of goes back to Tally's original, like, okay, we wanted to shut them down because, you know, before the rebellion started, and it's not just about the rebellion now. Like they're a full species, they're a full race, they're synthetic, but you can't you can't wipe them out now. To do that would be no different than wiping out like the Quarian or the Rachni, or not the uh, the, Krog- the the Krogan or the Rachni. Well, that you know they've mm-hmm. you know they they have a society, they have an intelligence, and and they're you know the, the, for all intents and purposes they're alive. Yeah, just like anything else, if something threatens them, if they're gonna threaten your life, you're gonna fight back. Because death is scary. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's, it's like, like, like people get surprised. Like they're machines. They're machines. They want. They why would they get mad by you shutting down? Like if you're shut down, you don't have any more thought process. That's it's terrifying. Right. Yeah. So you take the you take the data back to the ship, uh, and you, you you get a call from Hackett, and he you know tells Shepard, "Nice job," and they're gonna. Increase their patrols in the Armstrong Nebula, and you actually do hear. I think if you go back to the Citadel at some point in, in the elevators, you do hear about uh, you know increased presence in the Armstrong Nebula after some Geth, uh, you know, some Geth were found there. Um, but then you go talk to Tally, and she's like, "Shepard, that data, that's that can be my pilgrimage solution. That's exactly what the Geth, you know, we love." And Shepard's at least the way I played the conversation out. Shepard's like, "Look, this might take a while." It's encrypted, you know, it's not, this isn't the kind of thing you're going to go back and have immediately. She's like, right. yeah, it'll take decades, but that's fine. Like, you know, it, you know, how long it takes isn't what's important. Just the fact that we got it is important. Yeah, And, and so then. Well, it's like, that's one thing I really like about this quest, too, is they make a copy of the, of the data. Right. A lot, a lot of, a lot of, like, a lot of shows I've watched, a lot of games I've played, they act like the data, like, they can, they, they can only have one copy. They can't make any more. I'm like. Why did you make multiples? Why did you double, triple this? Why is there only one? Why would like come on, guys? You're technologically advanced. Why are Put you so stupid? Put it in the stupid? cloud. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, and I, I mean, so that you know, there's no resource issue there. It's entirely about whether or not Shepard wants to be be you know be amenable to sharing or not. Mm-hmm. 
that, you know, you can be like, no, I don't, I don't, you know, this information is Alliance only and, you know, the Quarians can go screw off or you can be like, yeah, sure. You know, you, you, you know, you were part of the team. You're part of the mission there. You're just as entitled to that data as anybody else. And especially it makes sense because of your history with the Geth. You yeah. should be allowed to have it. Yeah. Also, so, given that data means that you now have some bargaining tips for later. Like, hey, I helped you out. You want to help me out? Yes. <laughs> it does come. I don't up. know if I don't know if Shepard's thinking that far ahead in Mass Effect One, but you're absolutely right. Oh, I think about that in most of my daily life. I'm like, hey, if I help you out here, future down the line, you might be willing to help me out. That's just basic basic process of living. Just that is true. Sure. I mean, it's that is true. Yeah, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Yeah. If you scratch a quarian's back and they feel it through the suit, good question. <laughs> I have way too many questions that I'm not going to ask right now. <laughs> well, okay. So, so did, I, I guess the question here is, <laughs> did anybody not give Tally the data? No, I gave it to her. I love Tally. Uh, I'm going to give her the data. Are you kidding? Yeah. yeah no matter yeah. what path I chose, I'd always give it to Tally. She's my favorite. Exactly. So, yeah. So if you give her the data, then she, agree, you know, Shepard's like, so you're not like leaving. And she's like, no, I'll stick around until we take out Saren. Like, that's the mission. And she, again, she's very happy to be there. If you don't give her the data, though, I think she says, like, I'll stick around until we, we, we beat Saren, but uh, after that, I'm, I'm out. I need to go find my, my data. Like, this isn't enough. Or does, she, or does she leave? The way it was worded on the wiki that I was reading was very ambiguous. If She might actually just leave at that point. But I don't know. Again, I've, again, because we all love Tally, I don't know what happens if you don't give her the data. I've, yeah, I've never not given her the data. Like, I've always just been like, here you go. I don't think she'd leave right away. Like, I just doubt they break the game in that way. And I, I've never heard of that. My guess is if you don't give her the data and you bump into her in a subsequent game, she's sort of unimpressed with you. Right. That makes sense. And that probably makes impressing her in that game that much harder. <laughs> so. Just a All little right. bit. So do we have any... Any final, uh, anything final to say about Tally here, so we can move on to Garrus? Man, we talked a lot about Tally, so you know, I think I- we did talk a lot about Tally. <laughs> Let's talk about Garrus then here, real not real quickly. I don't want to, I don't want to short shrift him, but like I said, like Tally had so much more to talk about with respect to, uh, with respect to the the Quarian race, whereas Garrus, I mean, we we've we dealt with plenty of Turians already. Actually, I don't even think do we even see another Quarian on this game? I think Tally's the only one, right? I don't think we start seeing other Quarians until later. Uh, let me double check. I, I don't think, think so. you're right. I don't think there's another Quarian NPC. So, yeah. So Garrus is a Turian. We see a lot of them. We deal with a lot of them. So uh, he he's very much a C-Sec person, except not. He kind of followed his father into C-Sec after. And that's where we meet Garrus is, you know, when he's, uh, you know, he, you know, he's, he's learning about the Saren mission, trying to track down Saren, and he's getting shot down by his superiors because if there's one thing Garrus is known for, it's getting into trouble with his superiors for wanting to go above and beyond the scope of the mission. <laughs> it, it's it's kind of funny when I met Garrus, like, first time I met Garrus, like, my back in the first game, I was all for it. Like, yeah, yeah, screw the rules. Don't do that. So I was playing the game this time, it's was kind of like, uh, actually, you know, you might want to follow that rule. That's kind of you're kind of going a little too extreme right there. Uh, slow down, buddy. You know, I, I I said it about 
Liara and and Tally. Um, but I think it applies as much to Garrus. Garrus isn't necessarily as young as the two of them. I think he's a little bit older, but he's still very much maturing. Like he's not he you know, he 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 if if Tally is like the 18-year-old just getting into college, Garrus is like the 24-year-old who's like out of college and he thinks he knows how the world works. And he needs to kind of be like slapped upside the head a little bit and be like, dude, no, you're, you're, you're not there yet. Not even a 24 year old, just a, just a fresh, uh, just a fresh teenager. Just thinking like, I know how everything is. You're all stupid for not doing it this way. Why haven't anybody ever done it this way? Right. It's like, no, there's reasons for that. <laughs> that rule exists for a reason. And so, uh, yeah, you're going to, you're going to find out. I definitely fed Garrus's like worst impulses through my current playthrough. Uh, and I feel <laughs> bad about it, but I was just like, yeah, break the rules, man. Fight the power. Like, do things your way. That's That was the surprising thing to me was, you know, going back and looking over my playthrough. How many times, like, you just kind of shut Garrus up? Like, if you like, it's like, like, you know, he when he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, uh, you know, I, I wanted to do this and CSEC wouldn't let me. And, and you're like, well, CSEC was right. And Garrus is like, I, I, I Okay, sorry. <laughs> and then you go back to talk to him. And like normally, you know, if, if you finish a conversation with an NPC and you go back, you still get into that dialogue like, you know, hey, Commander, what's up? And then you have the little wheel where you can pick. And Garrus, he just he goes, he becomes like a regular NPC with no, you know, it's just like, yeah, you know, like, hey, Commander or whatever. And like, you can't actually interact with him anymore after, until you get to the next point. Like, he almost needs to cool off. Like, really? He's, yeah, he's very. I, I guess it's because the way I played this, because like I never really shut him down on most things. I more so said like, "Hey, I get where you're coming from, but it's like, calm down, everything be okay, you know." Like I got you. Yeah, yeah. His dialogue tree, like depending on like the options that you pick with him, he can become kind of aloof, like, and he can kind of be like, "Okay, I need to think about you know what we talked about and stuff like that." He's. Like Garrus is fascinating because he feels like, and he talks a little bit how how he would he could have been recruited as a Spectre, but his his father kind of doesn't like the power that Spectres have. Again, being his, his father's like the straight C-Sec man, the ideal C-Sec man. You know, I buy into the system, I play my part. You know, the system is responsible, and you know, again, rules exist for a reason. And so Garrus is, of course, very much like no, like the, the Garrus is very much the ends justify the means. Yeah. And you need to kind of be like, no, sometimes the means are, you know, the means are the means for a reason. And like, I, I could kind of understand his father to an extent too, because it's like, you see what Saren has done, the things he's done for the stuff is like, he doesn't get anything done with by any results, kills civilians, whatever. And that's not okay. Just because you're like, doing a mission that might help the galaxy, killing millions of civilians of civilians, not cool. Really kind of an evil thing. So yeah, like I think like like certain Fight Shepherd Right Paragon, you can actually get stuff accomplished without just murdering everybody. <laughs> right. I mean that's fun that's fundamentally the Paragon playthrough, is that you basically like you're like, look, I need to do this for the greater good get on board with that it's for the greater good and then yeah you just you know you charm them into agreeing with that and that's kind of what you have to do with garris is is, is be like look like you can't just run around imposing your will you kind of got to bring people along with you and and i guess to garris's credit is that he's fairly charismatic so he can he can learn to be that way like you know shepherd is i guess the ultimate in, in charisma assuming you put enough points into that skill <laughs> but yeah like you know like 
it's like he's got a good head on his shoulder. It's like it's like he's not he's just brash. He's not like yes wants to do things terrible. He actually wants to help people. He's not trying like you know he's like he just hates seeing the bad guys get away. So, but he always like sometimes assumes that everybody is the bad guy. So some people who probably didn't need to get beat up get beat up. You know, right? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, that's what- he has like a strong sense of justice and right and wrong, and he's just mm-hmm. not. He's inexperienced, like you said, Nick. Like he he doesn't really understand like that the ends don't justify the means, and like that sometimes if you make a sacrifice now and sort of back away from your impulse you'll get a better outcome later. I wonder, let's say that Garrus did become a specter. Would he have been as vulnerable to Sovereign as Saren was? Because, I mean, Garrus would be out there like, would he have, when, when, when Sovereign shows up and is like, okay, like I've got all this power here. Like Saren at least understood like, okay, I need to negotiate with this. I don't, I can't, I can't directly assault this. I can't repel this. And this is going to come and it's going to crush everybody. But at least if I get on team sovereign, like I can secure a place for us and I can, you know, I can, I I can preserve something. Would Garrus have come to the same conclusion? Like, okay, like I got to get on board with this. Or would he have, would he have been like, no, like, no, I'm going to fight this. I'll do what I need. You know, kind of basically kind of what, what Shepard does. Like I'm going to openly repel this. And I guess the, to go along with that, then would he have been successful or would he have just wound up running headfirst into like that red laser beam that all Reapers shoot out? Yeah, I I think he isn't. I, I think Garrus is much more like sort of incorruptible than like Nihilus. What the game tells you about him is that he, he was already, I don't want to say a crook, but he was already very much, uh, you know, amenable to being influenced by something like a sovereign uh and where where i don't think garris would but i i do think you're right that garris probably wouldn't have been successful in well, in fighting the reaper influence in the same way like he garris feels to me like sort of a proto shepherd if you will yeah shepherd before he where shepherd is now like this is what shepherd would have been depending on your playthrough because he's he lacks the experience is a big problem is he doesn't have any experience he's going basically just headstrong impulses right you know we, we've all been there we've all like earlier on made some decisions that we thought were right but kind of thinking back i like well that was actually kind of rash i should have just sat back and thought about it more right exactly and and you know let the situation play out like step back think about the long game and i think that's garris's biggest problem or i mean it's his biggest character flaw is that he's very much focused on the immediate result and doesn't play the long game Right. Yeah, but I think that's one thing I kind of like about also the game, like with a lot of these characters we'll see through the series, is a lot of them actually start to evolve and get, they do start to mature, grow into and get smarter, make start making better decisions throughout the game. Well, that's, that's Shepard's influence, whether it's Paragon or Renegade. I mean, Shepard drives them, you know, Shepard kind of brings them along. Garrus, I think more so than anybody else, really, it feels like he can be manipulated. Like you, like you said, like you can either encourage his worst impulses or you can kind of, I didn't even realize I was berating him as much as I was. I didn't mean to like, you know, kind of like yell at him to get him to fall in line, but you can get him to kind of reconsider and be like, oh, okay. Like he comes to a different understanding than if you're just like, yeah, let's just, you know, like, like, you know, go, go everywhere. Guns blazing. I think that's, you know, Garrus having that 
almost immediate admiration for Shepard and and looking up to Shepard is is he does you know if you if you don't encourage his worst impulses if you sort of admonish him and say hey actually um ends don't always justify the means i i think he it takes a while to internalize that but i think he still is is sitting there saying like i should change who i am i should really think about this because this person i have deep respect for is is telling me to rethink the way i'm behaving yes so let's let's get into garris's quest here uh, it starts. It starts with a discussion, really, um, where he's talking about how, uh, you know, when he was a member of CSEC, that there was a Solarian geneticist who was doing some weird experiments, and uh, he noticed that, uh, you know, his his sort of, uh, I guess, uh, purview was was uh, black market trade, and he noticed there were a lot of organs that were suddenly being traded, and there's always a few, but like there were a lot more all of a sudden, and. He talks about this. I thought was fascinating. He mentions one time there was an Elcor diplomat that was hacking people up. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear more about that. How would Elcor even do that? Right, (laughs) right. That's just that. That's a fascinating story that I want more of. That raises so many questions. Yeah. Does he narrate his feelings while he's chopping them up? With (laughs) sadistic glee. I am going to saw your arm off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but God, that's kind of hurt. Cause like Elcor, like they, they, they go for a play with large crafty. They've got to be pretty strong. So that good news is hopefully that means it'll be quick. All right. Yeah. Although now actually this makes me want to see like an Elcor rendition of silence of the lambs. I had that same thought. That yeah, <laughs> I've got I, I've got a dumb one, an Elker, ba- uh, Batman, and Joker stuff. Yes, <laughs> there's how <laughs> the Killing Joke, but with Elcor. <sighs> I love stupid stuff. Anyways, what were we talking about again? <laughs> anyway, back to Garrus. Yeah, so he mentions that as just a one-off line, which is just an amazing line. Um, but, you know, so he starts in interviewing uh, the doctor's employees, and then Shepard's like, you mean interrogate? And he's like, I did what I had to. <laughs> um, but then one of, the de- one of the detainees starts bleeding, and so Garrus orders, like, a scan on him. They find there's all these incisions all over his body, and he's got these extra organs inside of him, and the guy's just a mess. And... It turns out basically like he was he was using his employees to grow these cloned organs inside of them. Mobile meat lockers, and you know. Exactly. So Garrus and CSEC, you know, go to arrest Salion, but he manages to get away. He blows up his lab and he's got a hostage that he's going to kill, uh, you know, if, if they don't let his ship get out. And so Garrus is like, just shoot him down. The hostages are dead anyway because he's going to do all these experiments to these people. And CSEC's like, no, we're not. You know, we got to let the hostages live. We're going to let him get away. And so Garrus is like super pissed. And and I, I guess it's not clear, but this seems to be like probably like the crystallizing incident for when like Garrus loses all respect for CSEC. I mean, he might have chafed against them before, but at this point I was like, yeah, okay. Like I don't, I don't buy into the program anymore. You guys are fools. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's more like, are they really, do you really want to shoot down a ship full of hostages? Like I can get like trying to like maybe like disable the ship, but really want to like. Right. And that's, you know, I mean, it's it's so from a civilized society perspective, 
not shooting the ship down is, is obviously the correct thing to do. But you could I really like this quest because of just the grotesque nature of the work being done by Saleon. Like you can see why Garrus is is furious about it and why he wants yeah. to take this guy out. Like it's very mm-hmm. understandable. Right. And I think too, if you're as cynical as Garrus is becoming, you'll assume like, oh no, he's not he's not he's he's not gonna actually honor the hostages. Like they're even if they're, you know, his employees or whatever, and they're growing the, the, he needs them to grow the organs. Like that's not much of a, a life anyway. Like they're, they're functionally dead, even if they're not actually physically dead. And he's, well, and I, you know, I, for him, it's, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It's part of it too. Garris mentions that he's basically like Salen was pulling people in off the street and they were his quote unquote employees. But, you know, I mean, really they were just bodies that he could fake as employees and use as mobile meat lockers, as you put it. Yeah, right. exploiting the poor and stuff like that. Exactly. But also one thing that, like, like Salian really made me mad with this next part he did. The name he chose. Seriously. This is the name he chose. <laughs> Dr. Hart. That seems a little too on the nose. If I you're like a it. scientist who's been hiding organs, do you really want to go, yeah, let's let her find me. I'll just call myself Dr. Hart. That doesn't elude to what I used to do. At all. Is is that on the nose as the Cerberus quest being called Hades Dogs? Just a little bit. <laughs> we can't. No. New episode, new me. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I did enjoy that. And and the game like very much winks very hard at you when, when it says that. Oh yeah. So yeah, so Garrus tells Shepard, like, look, I've got his transponder location. You know, it's this Dr. Hart. I'm pretty sure it's him. Can we go check it out at some point? And so, yeah, so get, that's how you get this, the side quest added. Yeah. And so you go. It's another one of the Kowloon class ships uh, that you go check out. So standard, uh, you know, standard ship layout. You get in there. There's a bunch of husks all running around again. You know, some more husks. And then, you you know, you get through them and then you find Saleon and, and Garrus is like, that's him. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm Dr. Hart. <laughs> And then Shepard's like, you sure that's him? And he's like, yeah. And then, I you know, mean, and then so Shepard. I mean, what, do all Salians look alike? Yeah, Salarians look alike. <laughs> and, yeah, so Shepard's basically like, so at that point, you, as Shepard, you really have the decision, like, how do you want to handle this here? Right. Because, you know, because, again, Garrus is, like, itching, like, you know, just shoot him. Just shoot him now. Like, no good is going to come from not shooting him. And so. You said you encouraged uh, encouraged Garrus's worst. Oh yeah, you know. So you just you just oh yeah, took him right, right yeah, there he, there. yeah, yeah. He was done. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried. What about you? Kara? I tried to give him a chance. I tried like, hey, come to the authorities. We'll get you taken care of. And he's like, fine. Then he's like, they start trying to shoot me, so I just just murdered him. So I'm like, yeah, whatever. Gave you a chance. And Garrus is like, yeah. why didn't we just kill him in the first place? Like, hey. Looks better on us if he shoots first. Well, no, Shepard has a really, I think Shepard has sort of like a a fascinating quote here. And I I feel like this is almost like the mission statement for, if not the game, like, like at least like Shepard's outlook on the game. So here's what he says. You can't predict how people will act, Garrus, but you can control how you'll respond in the end. That's what really matters. And so, yeah, so like that statement, that's like a, that to me, that to me, like when, when I heard Shepard say that, like that, 
like because fundamentally this is a game about responses mm-hmm. this is a game of like all you're given you know i mean combat it's in and of itself is a response that you're given a, a you know a threat that you have to respond or you're gonna you know warp it or you're gonna shoot it or you know you know send send rex to you know you know bash it or whatever <laughs> you know you have those options but also then you have all the social aspect to it where you've got that little scroll wheel and you're picking you know you know which which choice next here am i going through the dialogue here and you can't control what happens you know there are certain things in this game that are going to happen no matter what you can't stop you know vermeyer from happening you can't leave vermeyer with your crew intact well it's also just a but you can't it's just a good thing about life in general you really can only control yourself and what you do everybody else is it's like if things happen it's by what they, they chose to do. Like you can only help people out if they want to be helped, do things that they want to do it with you. You can't make people do it. It's all a bunch of negotiations and talking and getting, doing favors. People like it's all complicated social cues, you know, I didn't have any yes. of this cause I just killed the dude. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a good lesson and it is, you know, the moral and upright and, and frankly, we live in a society sort of lesson, but uh, yeah, you can't just kill him. Uh, I, well, yeah, he need- you know, I it's it's interesting because it does change Garrus's character. Like as you play through the games, your interactions with him in one absolutely feed into some of his behavior in the subsequent games, which which is really nice. Well, it's interesting too because you, you know then you get back to the ship. And I guess in my case, again, like when you get back to the ship and then you talk to Garrus, you know, because we let, you know, we initially let Salion live. We kind of let him, we let Salion really choose his fate because like, as soon as he goes hostile, we know he's a dead man. Like he's not fighting his way out of that. And, you know, and, 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 you know, Garrus is like, oh, I learned a lot. You know, you shouldn't sacrifice innocence, find the best way, not the fastest way. And then he admits that the whole reason he wanted Salion was because it it became personal. When Salion got away, it was under his watch and it became personal. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, like, how did Garrus respond? Like, was he just like, yeah, we did the right thing there. Like, how how did he handle it when, when you, uh, when you killed him? It's really interesting because when you go back to talk to Garrus on the ship, he, uh, he has a little bit of remorse. He he sort of talks to you and he said, well, that felt good, I think. Like, he's not unhappy with the outcome, but he definitely also has this sort of twinge in his conversation of, I don't know if that was really right to do. So you can see that, the, you know, this sort of uh, at all costs morality doesn't quite sit right with him either. He didn't get the feeling he thought he'd get from Dick. Exactly. He chased this guy for so long right. and tried to do this. Now he's dead. He's now like, well, what now? Exactly. Did that actually accomplish what I wanted? The people like who were captured in hostage or anybody who's died before, they're not back. This didn't really solve just except his personal vendetta. Right, right. And and I like that too because it it you're still sort of teaching Garrus the wrong lesson here. Uh, and believe me, this was not the last time I did it. but. It does give him pause, like no matter what, and it, it lets his sort of overall upright moral character shine through. And then Gar- Garrus has one other interesting discussion with uh, with Shepard uh, that as you as, as as you get progress through the plot, uh, he starts to doubt if you'll actually catch Saren, and 
you know, he says that he can't stand the thought of Saren getting away. And and then he asks Shepard, do you think the council might be protecting Saren? Like, again, he's worried, oh, we'll catch Saren. We'll bring him in. And then the council is going to be like, well, this is our favorite specter. So he's all cool. And, you know, basically he's like, look, if we find Saren, we take the shot, right? Like we can't, like this guy does not get to walk away. And now how did you handle, like, how, how did you handle, like, explaining that to to gareth what was your response when gareth says that oh i told him we're taking him out no question yeah i think i said something like not to not to worry about it it's like we'll get him it's like may not be right now we'll get revenge we'll get him that's what i took the at least what i assume is the medium option where i was just like we'll see what the situation says like you know whether we take the shot or not well you know it all depends on how you know what we're what we're facing when we actually encounter him and so we'll make that call at the time and then and, and Garrus is like, oh, I, I guess that's okay. <laughs> like, oh, like he, cl- you know, he clearly wants you to be like, yeah, we'll, we'll, like he's not walking out of there. Right, right. Yeah, he was happy but when she, I said that. Should we, yeah, yeah. Like, but for me, like when I was just making decisions, I'm like, I really can't. Like, I know game wise, yeah, we'll take him out. But in like thinking myself and my personal pit, it's like, don't know. It depends on what the situation is when we get there. Like, if I get the chance, yes, but I need to have the chance. Oh, like get to that, get that chance. It's like, yeah, might still get away. He's been got away multiple times already. Why am I going to say the next time I see him, he's not going to once again GTFO out. Yeah. So overall, overall, Garrus, I don't know. Garrus reminds me of like, he could, I think, by, especially by the end of the trilogy, he really, he, he could like crew his own Normandy kind of thing. Like he could be like the next shepherd. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to be fair, a good part of our crew could actually be their own. They become their own captains and lead their own squads at the end of this. Well, and and I think that's kind of yeah. That, that I, like part of that I think is like Shepard's effect on people, like because you know he or she is so, you know, j- j- just such a strong leader that it raises the crew up. That any of them kind of become, you know, mini shepherds in their own right in right. a way. And and yeah, Garrus I think is is one of the strongest examples of that. I mean, yeah. I I look forward I look forward to discussing uh you know his role in future games. Yeah. Yeah, I look to see what he does next. I really, really hopefully see Garrus in any future <laughs> Mass Effect games. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean the I mean the ones after the trilogy. I'm hoping for more oh. stuff. Oh, oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, because I like I want to see like one thing, like it's probably like like when we have a new Mass Effect eventually coming out, I like just to know what everybody does after three. Like, what do they do with that stuff? Because like, they all have this potential. They all grow potential. So it's like, what do they do with that power and stuff? Well, and those skills. That's that's like one of the things. Like, I'm thinking of specifically the show Angel, the Buffy spinoff. If you remember that, oh yeah, mm-hmm. where. Uh, there was uh one of the characters on there was Wesley, mm-hmm. and you know he's like you know he's one of the, like Angel's lieutenants basically for for lack of a better word, and then at one point they have a falling out, and then he goes off and he kind of starts his own little like you know like vampire fighting crew, and it's it was fascinating to watch at the time that it's like oh like he you know he he you know he like he he took you know he has his beliefs clearly out and you know they're at odds with with angels at the moment but like he took that and like he he went off and he started like no i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of be you know do my own thing here and i'm gonna lead everybody and garris kind of feels to me like the same way like you know he's got those beliefs and it's like yeah like he's got you know 
like you know he he's gonna go off and do stuff on his own like that like it's very he's a very like strong secondary character i guess right. is what i'm trying to say yeah yeah he has he has some fun missions like some like loyalty missions and other stuff coming up in the future games we're just that's one thing I enjoy is like how much they get, they make these people very human like in this game because like I can relate to a lot of them. I feel like I'm actually talking to someone I actually wouldn't mind hanging out with and going to a bar with or doing stuff with, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Garrus is one of those guys where it's like he's a fun guy to hang out with, but then like every so often he's like, and yeah, let's go do this, and you're like, no, no, that's a little too far. <laughs> like you just gotta kind of rein him in a little bit. He's like, yeah, or you know, it's like, oh yeah, let's go, to, let's go to one more bar or something, or like let's go, you know. Let's go to the the rough, the rough part of town. You're like, no, dude. Like, no. Let's let's let's, let's just keep keep it chill. See those see fights. those bikers over there at the end of the bar. Let's go start some shit. Like, oh, yeah. No. And you're like, no, <laughs> no, no, Garris, no. But but yeah, he's good to have around either way. Yeah. So I think that's gonna go ahead and wrap it up for us here. Unless anybody has anything else they want to add. I think that's it for now. Till uh, the next episode. All right, and I think, yeah, well, next episode we'll be progressing here, getting into uh, our return to the Citadel. Yeah, where nothing ever happens. It's a boring place. Let's not go there. Nothing ever happens, no. No. Hold on, hold on to those Normandy car keys. <laughs> so thank you to Jarrett for producing and editing, and I want to thank everybody at home for downloading and listening. We are at Squad Goals N7 on Twitter, also at the MASH Network. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mash those buttons. Also YouTube at youtube.com slash mash those buttons. Chip, where can people find you? You can find me at WD on Twitter. That's double Y-E-W-D-E-E, uh, Twitter and Twitch, actually. And you can find me right here on the Mash Those Buttons Network on uh, Wondrous Tales, where every other week uh, we talk about Final Fantasy fourteen. Kura, where can people find you? They can follow you can follow me on Twitter at Kurabars, K-U-R-A-B-A-R-A-S, or on twitch.tv slash Kurabara. You can also find me every week on the Mash Network talking about Apex Legends on Dropping Spicy. And you follow us there on Twitter at Dropping Spicy. And uh how about you, Nick? What's what you doing? You doing anything cool on this network? I am at WookieBH on Twitter. You can also find me here on the Mash Those Buttons Network on WoW Talk, talking about Warcraft news and guild management. And also on the Torn and Goblin, walking, ta- walking, talking about Warcraft story and lore. Join the Mash Those Buttons community at Discord at discord.me slash mash those buttons and email us at squadgoals at mash.gg. Let us know what you think about Tally and Garrus and father issues and doing the right thing and trying to sleep in a quiet place. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help us out, please share it and rate it if you can and visit mtb.gg slash support to see all the ways you can support Mash Those Buttons and all our great podcasts, including on Patreon, where for as little as $1 a month, you can gain early access to content as well as to patron-exclusive content. You can also check out our Humble Bundle affiliate link as well as our PayPal one-time donation link over at mtb.gg slash support. Stay tuned to hear about our other shows on the Mash Those Buttons network. For Chip and Kura, I'm Nick, and I should go... This is my favorite podcast on the network. See you, Commander. Thanks for listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. If you enjoyed the show, you should check out mashthosebuttons.com and see if any of our other shows might interest you. 
All of our shows are available on your podcast platform of choice like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. If you enjoy our content, you can help support Mash Those Buttons by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash mashthosebuttons, where you can receive Patreon bonuses for as little as $1 a month. You can connect with Mash Those Buttons at twitter.com slash themashnetwork, facebook.com slash mashthosebuttons, or join our Discord at mash.gg slash discord. 